Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Hemp Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe. We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. It is hard to believe we have been having in-depth conversations about movies since 2011. You are telling me. Producing this show week after week requires a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. Just visit thenextreel.com slash originals. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great discussions. Season 5 had some great adaptations, like our Meryl Streep Oscar-nominated performances series. We covered adaptations like Kramer vs. Kramer, Sophie's Choice, and The French Lieutenant's Woman. It's a real Sophie's Choice between those books. <laughs> you see what, I, <laughs> see what I did there? Uh, yeah. Uh, and I don't think it's quite at the level of a real Sophie's Choice. We also did Snowpiercer for our Bong Joon-ho series, adapted from the French graphic novel Le Transpersonnage. Man, I love that movie. We had our two-part 1939 series that included adaptations like Gone with the Wind, Ninochka, The Women, and The Hound of the Baskervilles. A number of those 1939 movies, like Goodbye, Mr. Chips, also tied into our recent 1940 Academy Award Best Picture nominee series. Our naughty children horror series had creepy adaptations like The Bad Seed, Village of the Damned, The Innocents, and Children of the Corn. For our Hayao Miyazaki series, we talked about his take on Lupin III with the Castle of Cagliostro, plus his own The Wind Rises. Some great listener choice picks, too. Viridiana and The Great Escape. And for our David Mamet Wright's series, The Verdict, The Untouchables, and Glengarry Glen Ross. Plus, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang from our Shane Black series adapted from Brett Halliday's novel, Bodies Are Where You Find Them. Dive into the sources for all of these at thenextreel.com slash originals. Every book you buy helps support the show. Check out thenextreel.com slash originals today and find your next read. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends... Our conversation begins. In just a matter of seconds, you're going to hear a classic episode of this show from back in the day when we called ourselves Movies We Like. 
It took us a while to settle into the show's format, so you'll notice some differences as you listen to these episodes. For instance, it takes us a bit of time to actually get into the conversation about the movie. Things like that. But we're still proud of the conversations about the movies themselves, and we think they're worth keeping in the library. So enjoy these episodes from our back catalog. And you can become part of our Discord community, learn more about the show, and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com. So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. Had a, had a nice little funk groove going in, and you brought a chicken. <laughs> it wasn't a chicken. What was that? Tell me what that was. It was more of a chickadee, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> whipper, whipper, look at me, 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 look at me. How you doing, Andrew? Woo, woo. You too. You too. <laughs> <laughs> You, oh can, I met a guy. I met a guy. He was Canadian. Was he a meta guy? <laughs> I met a guy. He was a meta guy. He was Canadian. It was the strangest experience talking to him. It is strange talking because to him. Because he has this voice. Oh, oh, it's really good to see you. He sounds like that. Does that sound familiar? Am I doing it justice? Does that sound like a voice you'd... You'd Doesn't recognize. sound like a Canadian. I don't know. No, he's think not. Of he, he's. Never I mean, he's. Story or something. He's like this hybrid. He's a hybrid meta guy. He sounds like a, a troll hunter. But he's got his voice. Oh, it's it's kind of really good to see you. He sounds like that. Anything Does that sound familiar? Yes, at all? he's. You know who he sounds like? Tell me. Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones. Yes. The cafe guy. He runs the. <laughs> diner i swear to you i had the hardest time taking him seriously he's a distinguished older gentleman and he has fantastic round glasses and he looks like what harry potter would grow into if he were also french and scottish and he sounds like the diner guy and i kept wanting to wanting to ask him about the 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 darts the camino uh Poison right. darts. Camino. Camino. <laughs> oh, you don't know about them. <laughs> oh, it was it was amazing. Oh. I can't I, I'm surprised that I was able to pull that out though. I've got to tell you, I'm I'm really surprised. Or I am incredibly talented as a voice actor. So either one of those <laughs> things are true, but I probably not both. <laughs> probably not. <laughs> Surely not. <laughs> Uh, do you have any? Uh, do you have any particular follow up? Anything we need to talk about before we uh, start? Anything about uh, cutlery or uh, kitchen appliances? Uh, nope. But I've been uh, just just because of this new episode, I've been trying to brush up on my Korean. <laughs> <laughs> How's that going? Wajong chil yodiemnika. Did you get any answers? Anybody help you with that? Or no did you one just, here. No you, one here. You just left in the corner taking just, care of business by yourself. That's, that's right. That's right. It doesn't work well when you're talking to uh, people at a Mexican restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am proud of you. You sound uh, you sounded uh, like a tourist, but a good one. <laughs> good. Um, <laughs> it's really good. Uh, I I went to the dentist today. 
Okay. Again. The, a lot of dental stories. I do. I just have it. But this one is about our show because my uh, the, the hygienist and assistant who was helping to suction out my mouth while they were hammering and drilling away at it. Um, uh, wh- I say that as if there are like 15 people working on my mouth. There, was only, <laughs> there were only two in the room. But anyway, she has apparently started listening to the show. So oh, hello, great. Hello. Uh, and she's, she suggested, uh, she said two things. First of all, that I need to introduce uh, the most recent Fantastic Four film to my children without telling them what I think of it first, because mm. she's, she says it's really terrible, but it was really great to see her 11-year-old, speaking of children developed taste, her 11-year-old watched it, who should have been a shoe-in for this movie, and actually was willing to turn it off halfway through, said it was terrible. Uh, and the second thing she said, which is apropos of this film, I said, well, this week, you know, we've just finished our, our uh, Meryl Streep series, and, and we just uh, were starting this, The Host. And, and she knew of The Host, and she said, she said Meryl Streep was in that? <laughs> <laughs> I, it made me think of, our, of this recent Meryl Streep comedy series, and I think The Host actually may be Meryl Streep's worst film. <laughs> if you're watching it for Meryl Streep... <laughs> Right. It is neither Meryl Streepy or funny. I don't know. I think she does a great job as the monster. <laughs> she, really? She was the I motion capture artist. I really bought it. She was. She did. She wore the black suit with the ping pong balls. She did the motion capture work. That's right. Ran around on the floor. Uh, <laughs> She's part of the uh, motion capture artist guild. Is her and Andy Circus, and they do all the movies. Yeah, they're an amazing pair. She almost did Gollum, but he he got it out from her. That's right. That's right. Um, I think we should probably tell the people where we're from. <laughs> where are we from? Hey, this is the next reel, everybody. I'm Pete Wright, and that there, or over there, is Andy Nelson. Hello. How do you, how do you say it in Korean? <laughs> Korean. I don't remember. Annyeong. Annyeong haseyo. haseyo. There you go. It's coming back to you. Okay, yeah. uh, and we spoil movies and uh, and languages. <laughs> Tonight <laughs> on the show, we're going to do both. Uh, with the first in our new series on the works of Bong Joon-ho with his 2006 monster romp <laughs> and Meryl Streep film, The Host. Before we get into that, you should learn more about us at thenextreel.com. Subscribe in iTunes or follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Next Reel. And if you've ever taken the easy way out and poured paint or turpentine or, you know, formaldehyde down your kitchen sink, you're probably the kind of person who should also head over to Instagram.com slash The Next Reel and play The Next Reel's Instagram hashtag PonyPrize hashtag Guest Movie Challenge. Andy, how did our uh, walking ecological disasters do this week? Uh, they did a pretty good job. It was four images in before Alexander C. Kern was able, able to figure out that the images were from the 1965 film Inside Daisy Clover, which not many people seem to have heard of, but it's uh, directed by Robert Mulligan, starring Natalie Wood, Christopher Plummer, Robert Redford uh, in one of his earliest roles, and Ruth Gordon. And uh, yeah, so Alexander C. Kern was able to nail it on image four. So congratulations, Alexander. You're entered to win the 2015 Pony Prize. We have a blot spot this week. We sure do. All right. Well, I have it right here. Uh, our good friend uh, Ben Lott says, I totally agree. This is referring to uh, Sophie's Choice, a film from last week. I totally agree. 
that the Stingo stuff did not work for me in Sophie's Choice. This movie was absolutely breathtaking and amazing in the flashback scenes. Unfortunately, the bulk of the film takes place in the present instead. As a first-time viewer, wow. Wow. Uh, I had two big problems with this film, aside from how it focused on Stingo. One, I already knew all about Sophie's Choice, and I'd viewed the scene before. Well, that's on you, Ben. Uh, In a way, (laughs) it was like watching The Sixth Sense, already knowing Bruce Willis was dead. I think that's probably a good comparison. And two, I've seen A Fish Called Wanda, Soap Dish, French Kiss, etc. a lot. So Kevin Kline yelling and being insane is funny to me, not dramatic. I love him as an actor, but I've seen him in comedies too much now to take him seriously. Your rank, 124 out of 201. My rank, 140 out of 201. Pretty close. I wonder if that's kind of like the comparison of of, or, of people saying, you know, I don't like watching Will Ferrell in funny or in serious movies because yeah. I because he's a comedy guy. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I like seeing actors being versatile. You know. All right. Well, you, it takes all kinds of people. It takes all takes Andy kind of people, that kind of people, <laughs> that kind of people. <laughs> I think he's. I think he actually has a, a, a great point about the uh, the Sophie's Choice, and I think that's really unfortunate. If you've never seen the movie, but you have already seen the scene, yeah. Oh right. man, that's a curse. I I, I feel bad about that, but um, uh, I'm yeah. glad the movie struck at least part of a chord. Uh, as yes. always, thank you to Ben Lott for chiming in. Absolutely. All right, Andy, let's do trailers. Let's do them. I'm so torn on my trailer this week, Andy. The thing that I like about your trailer is they really just focus on the bare necessities. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, they, they, they do. They do that. Oh, I did that. Did you I see am, that? Did you, you brought, yeah, no, you did. No, believe me. Not only did I see it, I saw it coming. You telegraphed it a mile away. <laughs> yeah, but so awesome. We are of course <laughs> we are of course talking about Disney's 2016 film The Jungle Book. Uh this one is uh you know, I here we're going to have uh photorealistic uh and CGI animals throwing around a as far as I can tell, mostly photorealistic CGI boy. Uh, all attempting to look uh, really, really real. It will be a big, big, giant action film of The Jungle Book, um, and it's directed by John Favreau, and I do like that John Favreau so much. Uh, written by uh, Justin Marks and, uh, as you may know, Rudyard Kipling, who, as far as I know, did not collaborate on the screenplay. Uh, <laughs> itself. Uh, but uh, Justin Marks is a, a writer of some uh, action cred. Uh, he did uh, <laughs> Street Fighter, The Legend of Chun-Li. My uh, favorite. Yeah. Uh, Rewind, a little TV movie. He is uh, He's on board with Top Gun 2, uh, Shadow of the Colossus, uh, Counterpart, and uh, for TV and The Jungle Book, among other things. Uh, so that's Justin Marks. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, but the cast is, of course, fantastic. Scarlett Johansson, Idris Elba as Shere Khan, Bill Murray as Baloo, Ben Kingsley as Bagheera, Christopher Walken as King Louis, please. Uh, uh, Giancarlo Esposito as Aquila, Lupita Nyongo as Raksha, MJ Anthony as Gray, and uh, Neil Sethi as Mowgli. Uh, it, you know, I, I'm going to see it. I'm going to love it. I'm sure because it's a big spectacle, um, but I'm I'm really the musical uh, music is in my heart. What do you think? 
Well, it is the musical, isn't it? I don't Aren't know. They... There was no evidence that there is any singing. Not, not in this, but I thought I heard that that it was. It, they're not adapting Rudyard Kipling's The Jungle Book uh, book into this film. They are adapting the Disney animated film into this movie. Which, oh, which so is you're really telling interesting. me there's going to be singing in this thing. Well, that's what that was my understanding. Uh, so maybe I'm wrong. You are setting me up to be disappointed. I feel. Uh, well, I may, I may be, I may be setting you up because I may was, be setting this trailer was scary, dude. Right? I mean, there's this was an intense thing. Now they're going to make these things sing. Well, it's an intense uh, story. I mean, if you if you look at even the animated film, I mean, he's he's facing the the tiger. I mean, Shere Khan is trying to attack him and eat him. I mean, it, there's some stuff. But in it. But it was that, a cartoon. Ah, uh, well, I know. I'm saying once it's once it translates into uh, the real world, it can be a lot more frightening. And I think this looks a lot more frightening. I think it looks really interesting. I'm quite excited to see it and to see what Favreau does with it. Um, he's not always my favorite director, but I think this is a really interesting idea for a project. And as much as I love the music in the Jungle Book, I, the animated version, the pacing of it is really... Yeah, um, it's wonky. It's, it's not an actual like uh, character arc sort of film. I mean, he does grow up, I suppose, but it's only because he sees a girl and all of a sudden he gets these twitches and that's it. <laughs> And we all know where that is. <laughs> where, yes, yes, right. I believe they defined it well in Bambi as Twitterpated. <laughs> Sticking oh, with Disney. Disney. Uh, yes. But the, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think that I heard that it is going to be a musical version. I hope so, uh, you know, because I think the music is the strongest part. And if they take that and bring modern storytelling into it, then I think it's going to be uh, quite a sight to see. Well, I hope so. I, I, that would, that would be better if that was a true thing. Uh, I'm looking at the. I, I feel like I'm, I missed something big. But the, the scene of uh, Baloo floating down the river mm-hmm. with Mowgli sitting on his belly, whistling, bare necessities. That, that was pretty. That warmed my heart. Yeah, I'm not yeah. kidding. I mean, according to Wikipedia, it says it's a musical adventure fantasy. So, oh well, okay, you win. You win this round, Andrew. I'm gonna go Finger, with the music. Fingers crossed. Fingers, fingers crossed. crossed. No, that's true. So uh, this thing. Oh comes... look, yeah. Here you go. Richard M. Sherman, who wrote songs for Disney's original animated Jungle Book alongside his late brother Robert M. Sherman, will return to write new songs for this film. The Bare Necessities, originally written by Terry Gilkison, will be included and sung by Bill Murray. There you go. Okay, well, that either makes it better or worse. So, time will tell. <laughs> we definitely will be able to tell April 15th, tax day in the U.S., uh, 2016. 2016. <laughs> uh, what's yours? My trailer is Demolition, uh, Jean-Marc Vallée's new film starring Jake Gyllenhaal, Naomi Watts, Chris Cooper, and a kid named judah lewis who every time i see this trailer all i can think of is that he is a young jodie foster reincarnate because (laughs) he looks just like her when she's like in in uh uh, alice doesn't live here anymore type of uh, period so it's very interesting this looks like a really good film i really really loved wild i thought that was just an amazing journey story um i i liked dallas buyers club i thought it was a a strong story um, with great performances. I've really enjoyed the performances in, in Valet's films so far. This looks like uh, Jake Gyllenhaal delivers yet another fantastic performance. Um, 
And uh, it's basically about a, a, an investment banker who's struggling after losing his wife in a tragic car crash. Um, his wife, played by Heather Lind, dies. Chris Cooper is her father. Um, he and uh, Jake Gyllenhaal don't seem to get along very well, although Jake actually works for Chris Cooper, it looks like. And it looks like this one of the, one of those films where uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's character, uh, Davis Mitchell, is trying to figure himself out and and basically decides to tear his life apart. Hence the title, Demolition, and and basically disassemble his marriage and reassemble himself from ground up. It looks like a a great follow up to Wild. It looks like another type of story like that, and I'm quite excited to see it. Brian Sipe wrote the screenplay. Um, who hasn't done a whole lot. Um, a few small films that he directed in the early 2000s, A Million Miles and uh, Alpha Male. And then then uh, this is his, uh, looks like his big screenplay debut, and then another one, The Choice, um, coming out next year. Um, so, yeah, I, it looks really good. I'm, you know, it's, it's got everything in it that I want to see, so I'm quite excited for this one. I think Jake Gyllenhaal is on fire right now. Don't hopefully you think? not. Hopefully not literally. Well, you know, maybe he could take it. Is all I'm saying. Because <laughs> he's that good. He's that. Good. <laughs> he's been studying with Chuck Norris. I, uh, you know, I, I just from Nightcrawler, uh, Southpaw. Uh, we're seeing Everest this weekend. Uh, oh, uh, plug. We're seeing Everest this weekend. We're going to do a film board this weekend. Yes. <laughs> Uh, so you should uh, be on the lookout for that. Uh, to Demolition, I'm going to give it a shot just because of where he is. He looks great. And you know, I think I've said on the f- this show before, I am a big fan of dudes of a certain age trying to figure out where they exist in the world films. Um, mm. This this is right up my alley. I think it's going to be I think it's going to be uh, one that's going to mean something. Absolutely. To me. So, yeah, very excited about that. Um, did you say when it comes out? It uh, is going to be premiering, or it actually just premiered, I think, last week in uh, Toronto International Film Festival. And uh, right now, it looks like the release date is set for April 8th, 2016. Mm. All right. There you go. There you go. You know what they used to say about you, Andy Nelson? What's that? They'd say, you, know, you wouldn't know it, but he was a really smart kid. For example, when he was two, he'd sit in front of the village store, and everyone walking by would ask him directions. That's how smart he looked. The host, Andy uh, Bong Juno, uh, is our first one. Bong it Juno, is. 2006. It is. Uh, this was a film. It was written by uh, Bong Juno and Ha Won Ju and uh, Baek Chul Hyun. And uh, it was, um, it's a monster movie. It's a monster it movie about a, a monster that, that uh, comes out of the Han River in Seoul, that uh, goes through Seoul. And it uh, kidna- <laughs> kidnaps a girl. And it's a story of a family that is that goes on the hunt to to rescue her. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really it's a lot. It shares a lot, I think, in in terms of its narrative DNA with prisoners. 
which you might find familiar. <laughs> how did this uh, how did this hold up to you, uh, Andy? Because last time when we talked about when we when we teased this last week at the end of the show, you I, we said, "Oh, we're going to see the host," and you said, I, "I remember not liking this very much." Do you still not like it very much? I still don't like it very much, Pete. Oh, I'm bummed. I really about don't. This. Ah, you didn't have it's... fun watching this movie. Uh, no, I am. Uh, I appreciate what he's trying to do here. I have a hard time uh, connecting with the with this family. I really do. I mean, I, I appreciate the the struggle they're going through and everything. Um, it's there's a line I feel that um, Bong Joon Ho takes in making this film that I have a hard time with, as far as the the balance between kind of the horror and the comedy and i just can't connect with the comedy and it makes it hard for me like uh, what do you, what do you mean by that like you can't connect with the is it just the comedy surprises you when it comes up and so it's not very funny no it just it just always feels out of place i just don't feel like it it feels like such a strange uh, way to take this story and and these characters it's it's a weird mishmash of like the comedy like this goofy family of losers facing off with this uh with this monster that kidnaps one of them and it's it's hard for me to feel like there's a balance between the gravitas of a family actually dealing with this loss of their uh uh son or their daughter slash uh niece slash granddaughter depending on uh, who it is and i just have a hard time really getting into it because of that. And then there's also the angle that the film takes where it's like, I mean, it's called the host here in the U S I think in Korea, it was just called monster. Yeah, that's right. Um, the host, the whole idea of it is that this monster may be the host to this, some mystery virus. And so they're trying to catch this family because they think that, um, the son who was splashed by its blood is uh, has this virus and is going to contaminate everybody, and um, so he's kind of this host, and and so I don't know. I I appreciate what Bong Joon Ho is doing here. I just I just don't care for it that much. I do care for it. I had a good time watching this film, and I think you know we talked about it last week. This this may be the Sophie's Choice effect that that was just a heavy movie, and I was looking forward to something that wasn't quite so heavy. <laughs> And and so uh, this uh, appealed to me. This was a late night romp. I watched it ex- in exactly the same context that I had watched it the first time it came around. Uh, just late one night, I just pushed play on something random I knew nothing about. It turns out knowing nothing about it served me well, although this film uh, ended up being an incredibly powerfully popular film. Uh, in South Korea when it launched and and was the uh, I think at the time the it's it's still in Wikipedia reports at the highest grossing South Korean film of all time I don't think that is true anymore as far it's, as I know. no it's, it's been surpassed. Uh, beaten, surpassed by two films in 2014 Ode to My Father and The Admiral Roaring Currents mm-hmm. so but but still an incredibly popular film in that country and Bong Joon Ho is a, an incredibly popular director. So um, it ended up being a lot of fun. It's a fun late night movie to watch for me. I I think the um, uh, the the special effects are uh, at times really convincing and at times not so much. Uh, but the design of the monster, I think, is is clever, if not entirely physically believable. Um, I I just 
I love the uh, the character that they. Well, I don't, I'm not, that's, I don't love it. That may be a little strong. I like the personality that they imbued with this character, and I think they do a pretty good job of sort of uh, anthropomorphizing the the beast. You know, of giving it a little bit of humanity toward the end, uh, so that at the end you kind of feel for it. It becomes a little bit of a struggle, a little, uh, you know, more of a, a humanist struggle um, as as you watch this father. You know, trying to. Rec- come back and, and reclaim his daughter who has been kidnapped and swallowed and spit up and swallowed again by this monster. Um, I, the, the I did, I, I did very much find it. Um, this can get added right, uh, right quick to our list of movies. Uh, we actually still need to create this list, but the misunderstood monsters and the people who destroyed them. Yes. <laughs> yes here's right. You're very, <laughs> that is very true. This would be one of those monsters. The other thing, I, I want to talk about the family, though, because I think you're right. The family is, um, it's a bizarre mix of personalities. It reminded me, actually, of uh, like a Wes Anderson family. Uh, yeah, that's an interesting comparison. You know, it's just these, these uh, like there, there are no similarities between any of the characters. They're all just really crazy in their own unique way. We have the the you know the grandfather, the grandfather, and one of the sons. The the once was a smart two year old son is uh, <laughs> they run a snack shop, and the snack shop just uh, is a twenty four hour snack shop, and apparently they live in it at least in in some way, but uh, they they certainly sleep in it. Um, to run it's like it 24 it's hours. It's like right is right on the riverbank. And is right on the riverbank, but it's kind of a it's kind of a t- it's not like a like a it's like a a, a metal shelter. Uh, it's big. It's a big metal shelter. And uh, and so the this particular son uh, was also the father of the young daughter who was uh, kidnapped by the monster. And so that creates kind of a multi-generational kind of bit of interest. The middle, his sister is, a, a, I guess, an Olympic archer. Is that what you take it? She's like an Olympic level competitor or? or I don't do you... think she's quite Olympic level. She seems like she's somebody who's trying to get to that level. But she's, I mean, they kind of hint that she's always like never quite getting there. Yeah, she's, she's clearly emotionally distressed. At some level, yeah. she's she's dealing with something that's diagnosable. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then there's the other brother that is uh, he's the guy who sort of made it. He wears a tie, like he's the salary man. Well, except he's he's jobless. My understanding right. with him is that he was once kind of a uh, the type of college student who was you know out there protesting and really kind of one of those gung ho student leader sorts of guys who's now kind of fallen off his uh, wagon and is just kind of flopping around trying to figure himself out, but doing it, doing it unemployed. (laughs) Right. So the way this family interacts together, it's, uh, you know, it's, um, it's just kind of a crazy relationship. It's, it is not in at least, you know, I don't know, and I'll say in my experience, but, but I I don't, it, it doesn't seem to be wildly, um, strange to see how they interact together there's a lot of uh kind of whining and some slapping <laughs> that's yeah that's i i, really I characteristic. like characteristic i do buy into the family like they actually seem like a cohesive unit because of the way that they all interact and and the um 
just the ease at which they react to each other. It feels very familial. I think that's something that Jun Ho did really well is kind of creating that feel with this family, with these actors. They really did feel like a cohesive whole, even if I just didn't like them that much. <laughs> I is there a was there one particular family member you didn't like that made it sort of fall apart for you, or is it just general disdain for the family? I, you know, I think I mean. It's mostly Gang Du, you know, I mean, he's the father and it's just, I mean, he's such a buffoon. I, I really, like, I find him annoying and... Uh, you didn't buy know. the, you didn't buy his dad's um, reason that he was... No, I, you know, I guess <laughs> it's just one monologue. of those things where maybe that was, a, it was a little too late for me by the time that, that he gives that monologue, uh, you know, about two thirds of the way through the film. That, and what was it that his son didn't have enough protein? Or something like that at the at the right age, right? Like he because he, he was, was drunk and his son didn't have. And enough he protein. wasn't feeding him well, and his yeah. son had to do with the whatever that's called the sonri or whatever I can't remember. Where he would basically, I mean, that's what those other little kids were doing. Where he would like break into places and kind of have to steal food or something, right? Right. So I I didn't quite. Comp- I don't think I fully got exactly what happened to him as a kid, but it just sounded. We meet like- him as a narcoleptic, right? I mean, he just sleeps all the time. Yeah, exactly. Okay, but here's the case for Gung Du, which is that his transformation, like his story arc, mm-hmm. is one of um, it's one of discovering what it means to become a father again, like a caretaker, an actual kind of protector and caretaker, because he's he is a child, he's a grown up child when we meet him, uh, and the, his relationship with his daughter is one of just fawning sort of codependence. And by the time the film ends, he goes, he tries to get her back. It turns out he does get her back, but when he gets her back, she's dead. Uh, but she has protected another younger boy, and they saved the boy. And now Gangdu has taken over the responsibility of becoming a caretaker for this boy. And so when we meet him at the end of the film... He's alert, he's got a gun, he's the protector, he's got the symbols of the archetypes of becoming the protector and the father figure, and the, and, and he's not sleeping. Uh, he's alert in, a, in otherwise, it, it, you know, had this been the beginning of the film, in that context, the snow falling, everybody's at home, he's alone in this thing, he would have been sleeping. You're right, and, right. and here we see him as alert. So that's his transformation. Right. You still don't like him? No, I, I mean... I see that. I, I think this is one of those things where I understand that this film is liked by a lot of people. I mean, it did really well at the box office. Um, it's got great marks all across the board. It's won a bunch of awards. Um, I just, I, I don't know. There's something about the character that just, for me, I just don't click with him. And I, I appreciate what Juno is doing with him and the way that he is using him in the story. But I have a hard time... I don't know. I just have a hard time connecting with him, I guess. But I but I do understand and I do see exactly what you're saying. I, I see his transformation. I I can tell that uh, Jun Ho is doing a good job of putting this film together. I mean, he is a strong director. He knows how to tell a story. He he has he's very assured, I think. Um but uh, and, and there are there are definitely things in this film that I do like quite a bit. I think he does a good job with some stuff. But uh, I think 
I don't know. Maybe it's just scripting issues. I mean, right out of the gate, I think that was my first big stumbling block I had. What's the that? scene, the scene with um, the American doctor telling the uh, his Korean counterpart to dump all the chemicals was so badly written. It was such a painful scene to watch. Why, why was it? Time. Why was it badly written? It just, it just, it. it I don't. It was. I, I understand that it's based off of an actual thing that happened in Korea, but I, I just feel like the script could have been strengthened. Scott Wilson, who I love, I think he's a fantastic actor. Has been in some amazing films and TV shows. I mean, Walking Dead. He's great as Herschel. I just have a hard time listening to him tell this other guy to dump this stuff and he knows it's going to go into the Han River. And just, I don't know, the whole attitude and everything just seems like it's written really poorly. Yeah. Did you not feel that? Or did you think it was written fine? No, Am I just crazy? you know, I, I don't, I, I don't know. I, <laughs> I guess I gave it more credit because I thought visually it was a really, it was a, a, a beautifully shot sequence. Uh, I love the way they place the camera in the room and the the two shot that they get far away from behind him. And I love when he starts pouring all the formaldehyde down the sink and all the the kind of smoke that comes up out of it. I think it was just shot beautifully. And so um, I kind of wrote it off as the scene that we need to get us into the spirit of this is a man-made monster movie. You know, we have to kind of get into that mentality. This is, oh my gosh, mom made me flush this baby crocodile down the toilet, and now we have a monster movie. This is, oh my gosh, you know, we let the radioactive uh, gorilla loose in the sewers, and now we have Flash's nemesis. Um, this, it, it's it's that kind of spirit, and I gave it, I think, um, more... I, I just gave it a pass. Well... And I, I think that's what you have to do because uh, otherwise it's really bad. <laughs> I mean, it's so bad. I mean, here, here's the, here's, here's how it goes. Uh, the doctor, I hate dust more than anything. Oh, I will clean it again. You don't have to clean up now. Why don't you just dump this first? That's formalene. Formaldehyde, to be precise. To be even more precise, dirty formaldehyde. Every bottle is coated with layers of dust. Pour them into the sink. Excuse me? Just empty every bottle to the very last drop. It's just there are toxic chemicals and the regulations state, pour them right down the drain, Mr. Kim. If I pour them in the drain, they'll run into the Han River. That's right. Let's just dump them in the Han River. (laughs) But you know, this is not just any toxic chemicals. The Han River is very broad, Mr. Kim. Let's try to be broad-minded about this. Anyway, that's in order, so start pouring. (sighs) Yeah. It's terrible dialogue just doesn't doesn't feel very natural to you is that what you're saying (laughs) just you know there's uh, another piece of it too and i i recognize that we could talk about this this it's 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 not great just use of language um but but it does set a, a you know it sets a cultural tone too and and staging it in English, I think, is is an important one because it puts this, you know, there there are pretty mixed feelings about the the you know large military presence, uh, United States military presence in in South Korea, and um, there are a lot of people, particularly of this generation, kind of the of Bong Joon Ho's generation, of our generation, um, that really believe that this is a that we're done, we're done, we need to get the get the American forces close down the camps and and you know the the um, uh, bases and and move along. 
And there are a lot that don't agree with that, that we have the North Korean threat and that we have to have a strong American presence there. But this this film is is sort of this sequence is displaying by this really insipid bit of dialogue. It is displaying that tension uh, between the observed pressure that the Americans have in a negative way on South Korea. And I think that's an important thing to recognize, that this that as a result of this pressure, we get an incredible man-made monster that is eating people. And the, the you know, I, I don't think that can be necessarily separated, sort of that cultural statement can be separated from the, from the, the theme of the film. And that's one of the things I kind of like about it. I like that it's making a rather, you know, uh, obvious political statement in a, in a way that, that is sort of frivolous and, and fun, too. I agree with that, and I do feel that yes, I, I you're right. It is very obvious. Like it pretty much hits you over the head with it. Um, but monster movies, I, I think there's a little bit of a pass with monster movies where they are able to do that a little more broadly and a little more on the nose and get away with it, just because it's in the spirit of kind of a, a monster movie, right? Yeah. And I think, let's face it, I think. That's kind of what most monster movies are doing, especially like these big giant animal monster movies. Yes. Godzilla, any of these type of films. It's like man did something dumb and now there's this giant creature that man has to deal with. Mm-hmm. And so, I, I mean, I, I agree with that. I mean, the whole Agent Yellow thing is kind of just uh, hello, Agent Orange. Um, yeah. And isn't that an interesting twist, too, that, you know, we make a statement that is overtly critical of the U.S. president or presence in south korea at the beginning of the film and at the end of the film we're going to go ahead and make fun of the youth that are protesting that very thing (laughs) right Right? they sort of lampoon uh you know young activists um in the film as well i'm sorry i interrupted you no it's 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 fine um it's it's interesting because sometimes it's hard to tell exactly um I, i feel like there's a lot of different angles that uh, Bong Joon-ho is kind of taking with his messaging in the film. Um, Because there's all the stuff about the American government. There's stuff about the uh, Korean government. Um, There are interesting comparisons that he has with the monster and uh, Gangdu as the father, as far as like both of them being pursued by people. Uh, This is when, you know, everybody's after uh, Gangdu and his family because Mm -hmm. he is... um, seen as this infected human and they want to quarantine him and study him. Um, So there's that interesting element where they're kind of comparing those two um, beings. You know, they're both klutzes. (laughs) Like there's, you know, I mean, there's just interesting comparisons there. And then there's some odd comparisons with the monster and the Agent Yellow Notably, like when the creature is first seen at the beginning of the film hanging from the underside of the bridge, it has this very interesting teardrop sort of shape as it's just hanging there before it drops into the water. And it looks just like this Agent Yellow canister thing, which I I can't for the life of me figure out why it would need to look like that. Other than he's just trying to say, hey, look, Agent Yellow equals monster, both equal bad and both equal man destroying man sort of thing, you know. Yeah, so I think that's a I, fair enough assessment. Yeah, so I think he's I think he's doing all sorts of interesting little messaging and and subtextual elements going on in this film, which does make it more interesting. I, I maybe I'm, I'm 
selling myself on it a little more. I don't know. <laughs> As you Despite do. the problems that I have. And, and I'm not, and I'm certainly not saying that it doesn't doesn't have some problems. Obviously, some of the dialogue is a little bit iffy, and some of that might just be, you know, I, I you lost in translation. Um, you know, writing a, an an English language short uh, sequence uh, that is to portray, um, you know, the cynicism uh, around the American presence, military presence in South Korea is is a difficult thing to do. Uh, maybe when you aren't a native speaker, I don't know. Just saying it. Yeah, it could be. There were some scenes that were all Korean too that I had. That read. also. <laughs> okay, I'm I'm trying. I uh, know I appreciate um, appreciate that. The uh, so I many of the characters in this film I I did not know anything uh, about. Kango Song or Song Kang Ho is the uh, it plays Gangdo and he has been in a number of things and we're going to see him again in Snowpiercer in a couple of weeks. Um, he plays the crazy. Uh, narcoleptic uh, father of the young girl. Uh, he's I don't been know if crazy is the right word. I would say yeah. dumb. Yeah, oh, fair <laughs> enough. Uh, he is. Uh, he's been in a bunch of stuff, uh, and it's made me kind of interested to go see him again. If I now that I know, I, I remember the connection between who he is here and who he is in Snowpiercer. It's an interesting. Um, it, I'm I'm kind of on the lookout to see how he plays that character differently. I don't I don't actually remember him very well in in Snowpiercer, or, or remember his character and performance. Uh, very well, so I'm interested in that. Um, the other uh, character that we do know uh, pretty well is uh, Duna Bay, uh, Bay Duna, who plays the uh, Archer sister, uh, and she uh, is somebody that we're quite familiar with from Cloud Atlas and Jupiter Ascending, and um, she's in the fantastic Netflix series Sensate, uh, which if you haven't seen, you should check out. What did you think of? What did you think of her generally? Did she pull it off? I, I mean, yeah. I mean, her character I have less interest in, but I thought she did fine playing kind of the. Um, I don't know. She seemed a little narcoleptic as well. Just kind of her um, general movement through the film always seems a little, a little sleepy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I still like her. I think that um, she does a fine job in it. Um, I am glad to see that she's kind of been doing all these other things like Cloud Atlas and, and Sense8 because um, I think that she is a great actress and I, I really do enjoy seeing her on screen even if the sister role wasn't one of my favorites. Yeah, it, and I would agree with that. It wasn't one of my favorites either. It was a, it was a really snooze of a role. I mean, it was, it was a boring role um, that they tried to give a hero moment and it just didn't like it it didn't really connect for me at the end of the film you know we, we she's she's an archer right and so um she gets sort of the final shot right when she shoots the flaming arrow at the now gasoline soaked monster and hits it right in the eye and it just didn't feel enough to me like a hero moment you know she was just kind of a, a not a great use of of the character, I think. It was one of those things where I felt they could have really worked that differently if they had let her shoot more often, but miss. Yeah. Because they, they established that she's an okay archer. I mean, she gets bronze. She's not getting the gold. But she never missed. 
No, she's not missing. But I thought it would have been more interesting if they if they let her shoot more. And I guess what they do is they establish this thing where she's just kind of slow, and she, you know, the timer goes off before she gets a chance to shoot in her competition. All of that, and so that's maybe why she never gets these shots off. She has chances a couple times, and never actually gets to. Like the one time when she's in the sewers and finds the creature, she gets run over by it before she actually gets a chance to get shot off. Right. Right. Yeah, so. I, I think that's a really that's a, a really astute point that would have been much that would have been much more interesting way to use her. Yeah, but uh, she had been uh, she'd been in uh, Bong Joon Ho's. I think it was his first film, Barking Dogs Never Bite, back in two thousand, and uh, then she had been in some uh, uh, some of um, um, Park Chan Wook's films like Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, and or maybe maybe it was just that one. I'm not quite sure. Um, but uh, no, I think that she's a she's a great actress in uh, some of the other films. So I'm glad to have seen her in this. And actually, she was in uh, Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance with uh, Song Kang Ho. He was also in that, and uh, he was also in a couple of his other films, like JSA Joint Security mm-hmm. Area, which I really enjoyed, and Sympathy for Lady Vengeance. So he's been in a few more of of uh, Park's films. Yeah, Bong Joon Ho is one of those directors who finds actors and likes to kind of keep bringing them back. And uh, and uh, Byun Hee Bong was in, I think, uh, Memories of Murder before this, which was his uh, Bong's second film. Actually, he was also in Barking Dogs Never Bite, so he was in both of them. And I think he's a great actor in uh, this film as the as the father. Well, the father of the three kids, right? Of the I, older kid, the grandfather. Yeah, right. The grandfather of the kid who gets kidnapped. I really like him quite a bit i think he's my favorite of everybody in the family other than maybe the daughter um there's something about his presence on screen that just has um i don't know i, I don't know i guess i could just say more wisdom he he definitely feels that way you know you feel like he's a guy who's been around he knows how to kind of haggle a little more with with some of these people and do these deals and um, even though he doesn't seem like he's done that much with his life, I mean, here he is, uh, grandfather, and he's running a little snack shop that he's living out of off the Han River. But he's, uh, I don't know, he's got a strong presence regardless. Yeah, he's an interesting, I just like watching his face move. I think it's funny you mentioned how well he haggles, because I thought some part of the, what was so funny about his haggling was that he ended up getting taken. Uh, like, he ended up getting <laughs> guns that barely shoot and that crazy... Well. Truck, right, but I guess I was thinking of um, when he gets them out of when they're driving away in the truck they got, and uh, yeah. he kind of gives the guy the thing of coins and drives off. I yeah, I that was good. Um, I uh, no, I agree with you. Um, and uh, so there, so there, yeah. Um, let's see. And the older brother, um, I didn't, I didn't recognize anything else he'd been. I hadn't seen anything else that he'd been in. Is that uh, Park Hyil? Park Hyil, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, War of, uh, War of the Arrows. Uh, but again, Memories of Murder. So yeah. he uh, he's somebody else who has been in so, uh, several of uh, Bong Joon Ho's. Bong Joon Ho is like the Quentin Tarantino of South Korea. Well, Quentin Tarantino certainly likes this movie. Yeah, that's true. So. That's funny. You should. Uh, that's funny. I should say that. You should say that. <laughs> that's right. Uh, <laughs> uh, what did you think of Ko Ah Sung? 
that is the daughter. The, the daughter. I thought she was. Um, I thought she was delightful. I really enjoyed her. But I enjoyed her. She's actually. We we have seen some others. Obviously, we've seen her in Snowpiercer. Um, I I thought she was fantastic. She was one of the most interesting people in this because you know she was the one. She was the captive, and we see her at the bottom of the sewer, uh, kind of exerting her cleverness, trying to pretend she's dead, trying to help to you know, uh, trying to survive, find something to eat, find you know, protect this little boy who gets dropped down there. I thought she was um, she was great. Yeah, I agree. I really enjoy her presence on screen. There's something about her that. Um, I don't know, it's just a, it's a great presence. And I think she does this role really well. She's very interesting to see on screen. I think she was only 12 at the time. Yeah, uh, I think so. The, or uh, 12 or 14, 14. 14. Yeah. 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 So um, I think that she's got a great schoolgirl presence in this film and, uh, but has a strength about her. And it's great to see her trying to find a way to kind of get out of this situation that she's in. Um, and I, you know, I I appreciate that in monster movies, characters die. But boy, did it bother me that she ended up dead. Tell me why. <laughs> I was torn on this one. Especially I, you know, after we'd just seen her grandfather slammed against the concrete. But that was, that felt like a really justified moment in a monster movie. It's yes. like that character who stands up against this monster to um, to take it on helping others escape like that that was a great moment it felt like one of those deserved moments mm-hmm. this was a kid who's who's kidnapped from it everybody is trying so hard to rescue her it's like watching aliens and then having Ripley get to the bottom and finding a chest burster coming out <laughs> of newt you know it's it's like I don't know. I understand that uh, <laughs> Bong Joon-ho is like breaking conventions and stuff, but it just, I don't know. Sometimes so you didn't, those... you didn't feel like it was enough a reward that she, that what you, that her last effort as, as a heroine, right? She, she yes. gets to play this role as a heroine and she rescued a weaker, more feeble character so that he could have a good life. And that, that was the, the, that was a trade-off. She, I, we got to see know, her I, cleverness so that she could I, rescue somebody else. <laughs> I saw that, but it also, I don't know, it just it bothered me. It's like, oh, now dad's got his replacement child with him. You know, it's just, <laughs> I just, I, I had a really hard time dealing with the fact that the daughter died. I don't know. I, I Again, I understand. I appreciate he's trying to break convention and do things like that. I just didn't like that decision. <laughs> so maybe that's just me personally. Being bitter with him, but uh, no, and I I like hearing you talk through it because I was torn on that too. Because you know, as a, at the end of this film, you want that like you want to feel that bit of redemption, and at the same time, and I think Bong Joon Ho, you know, what I read into this experience is that you know we we needed her to die so that her father's transformation, her father's kind of change over the course of the film could be complete. You know, we needed him to to fully cement as this new character, and and maybe some of that is as a result of not being able to be there in time to save his daughter the first time. Yeah, but I don't know if I buy that the father's transformation would have been complete only by the fact that his daughter was dead. Yeah, no, I, like, I, I, I don't, I don't you. think I, de- I think I'm I don't fishing. Think I buy that. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's an interesting theory. I just, it's like. You know, I think the father already was showing himself 
a much different person just by his actions of trying to save his daughter, like doing much more than we ever saw him do early on in the film. Going through essentially um, medically authorized torture, uh, (laughs) which was horrible. Nothing like a needle in the brain. It totally. The needle to the brain thing was terrible. And with a needle to the throat, I don't know what they were doing in his neck. That was bad. Um, The screaming and the horribleness. Uh, And interesting that it was an American that comes in and and makes them stop. Yeah, that was uh, Paul Lazar. Yeah. Who I know best as Silence of the Lambs. The one with the, the bugs that is the, he's like the the uh the insect guy he's the bug guy yeah that's right yeah. who knows uh what the that it's a death's head moth <sighs> love those moths uh-huh. yeah nice well good pull good pull lee byung woo did the music and and i did not like it <laughs> 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 i had such a hard time with this music it was just i don't i don't even know it was such a non-genre sort of music it didn't feel connected to the story it was telling and it just was going off in kind of different tangents and for me i really i don't know it's just like it didn't do anything for me i guess i don't i i honestly this is uh, this is a casablanca film for me like for the music like do it's it is if if i gave it any thought i probably wouldn't like it but i didn't really even notice it Hell, that's, I can't yeah. place it. It does, It's not even in my head. <laughs> uh, but what is in my head is uh, uh, Kim uh, Hyung-koo, uh, who did the cinematography for this film. And, um, man, I, I really liked it. I mean, I thought there were, there were moments of genius visually. Um, and it, it really struck me as just an, in, an incredibly powerfully photographic experience in some sequences um he captures depth and height really really well some of these the picture the shots in the sewer the entrance to the sewer in particular with those vertical columns just beautiful he captures width really well like the just giant expanses of architecture i think just great um, and so I, I thought it was, and maybe this is again, why I think so much of it is, is, you know, I give it more of a pass than you do because I so enjoyed it visually. I thought it was, uh, just the way they moved the camera was fantastic. I agree. Actually, I agree that the look of it was really great. I enjoyed the look. I enjoyed the, the feel of it. I enjoyed the vibe of it. Um, you know, I I do think that Bong Joon-ho is a very skilled director, and I think that uh, he has a strong team with him. And I think you're right. Uh, Kim Hyung-koo's cinematography was very strong. It worked really well. And I do think it was um, a very smart decision on Bong Joon-ho's part to really just say, hey, I'm making a monster movie and I'm not going to hide it to the end. Right at the beginning of the movie, uh, 15 minutes in, I'm going to give you the monster and you're going to see it all the time throughout the film, daylight, <laughs> and here it is. I think that's great. And I think that uh, that uh, Hyun Koo really shot it really well. I, I think that it works nicely. I do agree with you that sometimes the effects are horrible with the creature, uh, particularly on Blu-ray. It's super crisp and definitely fake. Yeah, but 
I think they did come up with a really fun creature, and he is really interesting to watch. She, actually. I read somewhere that it's actually a she. I don't know how anybody tells, but according to them, it's a she. Um, I do like all that, and I think the look is very strong uh, with that. And, you know, strong director, strong cinematographer, um, telling a story of a very interesting monster. And I think, you know, even though I didn't, I wasn't crazy about the hero archer shot from Duna Bay, um, I I did like that closing sequence. When you have the, there's there's this uh, really kind of view of, of what we normally get as sort of radicalized protesting, but you have them throwing these Molotov cocktails. You have the brother throwing Molotov cocktail after Molotov cocktail at this, uh, at the beast, and kind of, uh, you know, hurting it with this fire and it's kind of slow motion as the camera is tracking alongside their, their, the action. And I thought it was just beautiful. I love the shots of the fire. I love the way they kind of captured these, these bottles throwing, flying through the air. I thought generally the rescue was done really nice where Duna Bay is climbing up into the, into the bridge scaffolding. There's this neat, uh, shot where she's kind of peeking her head out of a trap door, uh, you know, against this orange, bright orange scaffolding that that I thought was just really great. The death of the father uh, is there's a fantastic, or the grandfather is a fantastic sequence where he and his son are kind of walking par- parallel to one another through the grass and the rain, and it's just this beautiful throwback to some really classic Asian cinema. You know, I just felt like it um, visually, it really captures a lot of of sort of hints of um great asian camera work uh and i i loved it i thought it was really great i don't need to go on and on and on but i thought it was it was really great the one scene that i thought was super super special for me is when they were all they were all exhausted and after their the loss of of the daughter and and they all went back to the to the snack hut and sat around the table eating snacks and they're all in in silence and then the daughter kind of comes up from under the table and they all start feeding her even though she's been kidnapped she's gone but we have this vision of her and it's this to me it's just just beautiful sentiment where they're all clearly thinking about her and imagining kind of sharing the delusion of what it would look like if she were really here right now Um, and I thought that was a really special moment and it was just done completely wordlessly it was it was great yeah I marked that down as a very interesting scene i was torn between it being kind of just strangely weird uh and just kind of out of place or being really brilliant <laughs> it's a little torn on it um but but i did like it. it it was one of those moments that definitely stood out for me as like wow that's an interesting like this i wrote down right next to it very assured director like yeah he's not afraid to put a scene in like that that feels a little more um experimental almost you know it's this it's this inner state scene as you're kind of looking at kind of reflections of the family internally almost like remembering the joy of of sitting around the table as a family including the young daughter um, yes you know and uh, so it was very interesting yeah all right that's all i had to talk about well, I've got a few more right. uh, things. What was your what? One of the things that I also kind of struggled with was the. And again, I don't think he was going for just kind of standard screenplay style and everything, but it just was a weird structure for me. The way that the story 
bounced from character. Like you didn't have Gong Du as the as your protagonist. I mean, he is the protagonist of the film, but you lose him periodically as he's going through these medical tests. And then there's a period where the brother and sister are separated, and both Namil and Namju are doing their own thing. And so you follow Namil for a little while as he's trying to track down the cell phone signal. And then you follow Namju as she's trying to, uh, you know, get this, after she gets this text from her brother. And then you, at one point, you jump completely separate to these other two random boys, Seijin and Seiju, who are just kind of homeless kids who um, come close to this family, but kind of pass them by. And then you just kind of follow them for a little while until they end up getting kidnapped by the monster. Um, it was, it was kind of a weird structure for me. And I, I understood by that point that Gangdu is pretty much our protagonist, but there were just long periods where we just depart from him, which I, I don't know. I, it, for me, it made the storytelling a little clunkier. I don't think I, I, I think I had a little bit, um, I, 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 again, I think I probably gave it more of a pass. Then you, I do absolutely agree with the two boys. I, I didn't get that at all. I, I didn't need their, that was a distraction for me. Um, but watching the siblings kind of go about their business uh, independently, I thought was okay. I, I bought that at, because I feel like they needed to move their part of the story uh, forward. And I felt okay because the, the narrative didn't uh, diverge, uh, you know, too terribly much. For me, I, I guess it would have worked for me better if we had other points where we diverged with them and we saw them at other points. Um, I'm, but, I'm, I guess I'm trying to figure out, are you more, um, does it affect you more that we lost uh, our the our protagonist brother or that we focused on these on the other siblings? Well, if we're going to have Gong Du as the protagonist, then I feel like we got to kind of stick with him. Again, I don't mind leaving to go follow other characters. I mean, that's what subplots are. Right. And they work very effectively in films. But not if they get one scene, right? And that's, I think, my problem. If we're going to follow Nam Il or Nam Ju, that's great. But let's give us more to them. I mean, we never follow them ever. If we're going to follow Nam Ju, give us a scene. Like, we only see her on TV at the beginning. Let us jump into that scene, and we can actually see it from her perspective as she's you know, making, having her struggles or whatever. Let us see something else going on with Nam Il so we get a little bit more subtext to the subplots so it, it, we have more invested in those characters, not just the one scene. I, I, I absolutely see your point. I, it didn't bug me, I think, as much as it bugged you, but I, I do see your point. Other, another thing that bugged me, or, or at least I just don't understand, and maybe you can explain it to me, why doesn't Agent Yellow affect them? All these other people are like bleeding out of their ears and other orifices of their face, except for this family who is able to kind of stand up and fight the monster surrounded by Agent Yellow Smoke. No, it, it did affect them. And you can see at the end, they all have blood coming out of their ears and nose. And Are you sure? Yeah. I swear I was looking and I didn't see anyone else bleeding. Yes. Huh. Okay. The last thing that I want to say, uh-huh. bone shower. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So describe the I sequence, love, please. I love the monster. I, I love the... I think that it's just a really clever monster design, and I love the bone shower. It's so unexpected. So the bone shower the, is what the, basically is... the monster. You know, 
we see it 15 minutes of the film as it gets out of the river and basically tears through just the the park, the, all the park along the Han River, just eating people and, and crushing people and, and grabbing people. And and it's just, it's, it's kind of the free-for-all. And it kills at least 30 people. And, and it obviously eats some. We just don't see much of that. And we don't see it ever, you know, evacuating. We don't see any waste of it. But at this one point when... In this, in this kind of this sewer pit that uh, the daughter Hyun So is in, um, it comes up to the edge, and she thinks it's going to vomit out another person because that's what it seems to do: is it swallows a person, brings it back to this pit, and dumps it in the pit so that it can then eat it later. Instead of dumping a person out, it's a skull, and then it follows that skull up by just vomiting every bone from every person that it had eaten. And it's just like <laughs> a pile and pile of just bones, bones, bones. It was crazy. And then it ends with the beer can, which I thought was great. I, I, I'm assuming it was the beer can that uh, that Gangdu threw at it at the very beginning yeah. into the river. Yeah, so. yeah, that was my connection there too. I, I agree with you. I thought it was a great touch. And, uh, and I, I really I enjoyed that sequence a lot, um, probably more than I... Than I should have. <laughs> I kept just I thought wondering, God, man, she's lucky. She's so lucky she got out of the way. Bone shit. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. You know, I thought it was funny. They have, uh, I was looking into the effects. Uh, the um, team, the orphanage did the effects for the creature. And they had this um, uh, c- face control window to kind of manipulate the monster's face. And it has things like, like, you know, angry um you know and for its eye different controls for its eye angry look back look back surprised squint extra wrinkles for squint surprised surprised pain all these different expressions for the eye and i'll tell you i mean (laughs) i don't even know where the eyes are yeah it's like i could i other than when it's like sleeping there and and and, uh, the girl is gonna you know jump over it to try to escape um, and you're just kind of staring at its eye. For the life of me, I was like, I know its eyes are on there somewhere, but I can't tell where they are. And it's moving so stinking fast. <laughs> you know, it's like, even if it was, oh, that's the squinty, the extra squinty eye. It's like, I would never be able to tell. <laughs> I thought at one point that it had eyes actually in its mouth. Uh, and, and it may, but there are also eyes that obviously one that she shot with an arrow. Um it's it's a very complex thing. I actually took a still of the monster with its mouth open at the end just to be able to see its parts. And I still, I mean, I'm looking at it not moving, and it's kind of hard to get a uh, get a bead on it. It's kind of got like a predator sort of mouth, you know. It's got yeah, it's, it's got like multiple pr- flaps and folds. It's almost uh, Georgia O'Keeffe uh, would love it. <laughs> nice, yeah. It's it's predator crossed with uh, with a kind of a crocodile. Uh, crossed with, uh, you know, the spirit of the deep American Southwest. (laughs) You really put your finger on it. (laughs) It's a regular Toni Morrison. Yes, there you go. Um, All right. All right. So uh, it was a, a reasonably popular film. It was a very popular film. This was uh, um, an interesting, like you said, it was an interesting release. I don't know if people in Korea kind of expected it to do as well as it did, but this film uh, just went 
nutso. And it, I think it had the record for the most people to see it opening weekend. I mean, just like it broke all sorts of records. It ended up making, well, it cost what I found at $12 million to make, which is today's dollars. It wasn't that long ago. It's just about $13.9 million. Um, domestically here in the States when it was released in 2007, it only made $2.2 million, not a ton of money. But internationally, it grossed uh, $90.4 million, which is about $105 million um, adjusted. So it did it did pretty well for itself. I mean, it's not the Avengers or anything, but still, uh, for a South Korean film, it's done better than any other uh, American film that's played there. So it ended up making adjusted uh, per finished minute about seven hundred ninety thousand uh, dollars. Not a bad play for a for a monster comes out of the Han River movie. Not the bad subgenre at all. of monsters and sewers and other dark places. <laughs> I think it's time for us to rank it. Let's do it. Head over to flickchart.com/slash/the-next-reel. Sign up for an account if you don't have one already, and then line them up. You can find all the movies that we've done all. 200 some odd and uh and you can see how this movie stacks up on against your list of great meryl streep comedies <laughs> see what i did there i did it again i brought it back because repetition is the uh, soul of comedy that's fantastic mm-hmm. i keep uh, i keep forgetting that there was another the host movie that came out a few years ago yes it was the stephanie myers uh, book right the yeah, host. that Andrew Nichol directed. Yes. What was he thinking directing that? No, it was that was the one. I think that we, I was, the, I couldn't figure out which was the one with the. They were in the giant column and it had the mirrors and things. It was the host. I yeah, think that, right. I think that was the one. I think that's what we figured out was yeah. correct. Yeah. Yeah. Whole brain oh, trust. The whole brain would, trust to figure that out. Why was everybody involved in that? Why? Why? Anyway, all right. Let's add this. Do it. The host, or. Kind Hearts and Coronets. Kind Hearts and Coronets. I agree with you there. The Host or The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. I'm going to go with Munchausen. Really? Yes. You hate joy. (laughs) I don't hate joy. I just enjoyed more of Munchausen. Hmm. Is there a doctor in the fish? (laughs) (laughs) I, you know... um... I don't know if I want to go to the mat on this one. I I prefer the host, but I know what happens if we say Munchausen, it just falls straight to the bottom. I will give you the host. How's that? All right. Well, that I mean, I don't want to go to the mat on this. One. <laughs> I don't want to go to the mat on this one either. That okay. Was, I I wasn't gonna fight that. It's all right. The <laughs> okay. host or La Vie en Rose. Wow. I, I would honestly, I'm going to say Le'Veon Rose, uh, but I would probably put on the host first. Okay. Well, so I could I'll, be swayed either way on this one. Well, I'll say Le'Veon Rose. All right. The host of the Poseidon Adventure. Oh, the Poseidon Adventure. Yeah, Poseidon Adventure. Which uh, I think argue, uh, inarguably would have been made better if it had a crazy Korean sea monster <laughs> in it, but I'm still going to give it to the Poseidon Adventure. I think that was... Uh, uh, what was that other one? Deep Rising? Or what was yeah. That? Was that? yeah. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, oh, that's, what's his name? He was in it. <laughs> oh, he was. That was he name. was in it. If I remembered his name, that joke would have been better. <laughs> that's, that, you're right. It would have been. Marty. Uh, what's his name? That was Marty. 
All right, the host or the illusionist? The illusionist. Definitely the illusionist. The host or compulsion? I'm going to say compulsion. Oh, compulsion, yeah. The host or taxi driver? I <laughs> am going to say taxi driver, Pete. <laughs> I'll give you taxi driver. Wow. Shh. Just click it and move on. The host or the Sandlot? The host. The Sandlot. The host. The host. The Sandlot. The host. The Sandlot. Travesuras en el parque. Nobody knows what you're saying. <laughs> All, All right. right, fine. We're gonna gonna have have to do no, 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 you're going to have it, okay. Sandlot. All right. Nah. All right. 152 out of 202. I had a good time watching this movie. That's my message. If you haven't seen it, you should see it. You probably haven't gotten this far. If you have well, then, seen it, I hope you agree with me. So then what's your star rating on it out of five? Oh, it's a, three, it's a three star. Okay. You know, I will say for Letterboxd, when I first watched this, I gave it one star. This time watching it, I gave it two stars, Pete. Oh, there you go. So see? You're softening in the right direction. Maybe if I keep watching it. Just keep watching <laughs> keep the moving up. Pretty soon it'll be five stars. That's right. It was a it was a fair enough film, and I am actually okay with it being at two and a half stars. All right. All right. So now we've gotten this one out of the way. Where do we go from here? We are going to next talk about Mother. Now I have never seen Mother. Have you seen Mother? I've never seen Mother. A mother desperately searches for the killer who framed her son for a girl's horrific murder. Sounds pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah. Sounds like somebody needs some therapy. Maybe this is therapy. <laughs> that's what this is. This is mother issues. Looking yes, forward to it. Uh, so that's coming up next week. Um, and this is kind of a short series of Bong Juno. We're doing this, and then we've got Snowpiercer, and that's the one I'm really looking forward to. So mother is just, you know, basically tiding me over. Yeah, I mean, Bong Joon-ho is a director who now has uh, his, I believe his 13th film is just starting pre-production. That's including some shorts. His films, Barking, Dog Never, uh, Barking Dogs Never Bite and Memories of a Murder, came before this one. Then The Host, and then Mother and Snowpiercer. So, of the 13 credits he has as director, there's quite a few shorts. And then one, uh, it's one of those anthology films he did a, a short in uh, one segment in one of those so uh well this is good this is where we're coming from next week and uh until then i gotta go to bed all right i am gonna go doze off like a sick rooster I had heard good things about this movie some years ago, so my dot, dot, dot. That's the title of this review from Richard Kaplan, R.C. Day. Okay. All right. So I'd heard good things about this movie some years ago, so my son and I watched it. At the end, we looked at each other wondering why. Why did we just waste two hours of our lives watching something so incredibly awful? Then after watching Snowpiercer by the same director, which we loved... I watched this again to see if maybe I'd missed something, but no, the movie was still terrible. 
Were we supposed to like the father of the girl who gets captured? He's an idiot. A father who falls asleep at his father's business and then feeds beer to his 10-year-old daughter? Is this Korean humor? Then the sister who misses a gold medal in archery because she takes too long shooting an arrow. Is this a story of family of misfits who come together to defeat the monster? If it is, I didn't get it. Terrible movie. See? Yeah. Hearing that, I'm like, like, I I agree with everything you're saying. <laughs> Preach it, brother. <laughs> Drop right. it at a star now. <laughs> it's yours. Oh, but not like Danny Treadway, who gave it one star and said, foreign subtitles made me not finish it. <laughs> As if the subtitles are the thing that actually made you not finish Boy, it. Boy, they really, yeah, that's, I'm sorry about that. Yes, I think Leon said it best when he commented on Danny's uh, uh, post here and said, that's because you can't read. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, oh dear. dear. Yes. Just stay away from these movies, Danny. Subtitle fight. <laughs> Amazon. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022... We switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM, and it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content, and we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash transistor. Start growing your podcast today. <laughs> 